Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today on the show, how do you diffuse a really volatile toaster? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson, and as always, I'm here with my good friend Pete Wright. 90% of divorce conflict can be resolved through dialogue and negotiations. But what about that last 10%? Our guest today joins us from the High Conflict Institute, an organization dedicated to that group that engages in what they call high conflict behaviors. How to resolve conflict when risk is high and behavior is potentially dangerous. We've got the High Conflict Institute co-founder here to tell us all about it. Megan Hunter, welcome to The Toaster. Thank you. I am so happy to be on the toaster today. I, I got I to start. You, you got to tell us how you, I mean, you're talking about these last 10% of people, the high conflict people, and you think to yourself, well, they're doing things that are unlikable. I think I'd like to work with them. How, yeah. do, you, how do you end up there? It's Megan? kind of a silly path road, isn't it? Silly. Um, yeah. Mm. So why would I want to work with the the most difficult, as I call them, the most difficult, difficult people. Um, and so the very, very brief story is there was this, this uh, my first job out of college, getting my undergraduate. Um, I had a child, it was a child support job working in the county attorney's office in Nebraska. And uh, there was one particular client that I just, every time she walked in the office, I wanted to strangle her like jump, jump right across the desk. And I, you know, I'm just strangler, but I, I restrained myself, but I got very interested in conflict right from the go when, when that was happening. And in that job, I was helping people, um, you know, dads get to have time, uh, uh with their children and, um, uh, and connect with their children. So I was, you know, kind of fascinated in, in human behavior way back then and eventually ended up at the Arizona Supreme Court as the family law specialist, which was a lot of, you know, um, uh, legislation, policy work, training the judges, being sort of the hub in the middle of the wheel of all the, the uh, specialties within the field of family law, like parenting coordinators and mediators and lawyers and judges. And there's a lot, right? as you guys know. And I, um, I got fascinated with this blend of psychology and law. And, and why, what, when I talked to the judges and all of the players in, in the entire field, including the parents, and uh, evaluating, you know, statistics about when parent education works for parents and, and they're at 10, magical 10 to 20% that it doesn't, right? All of this seemed to, when I would interview everyone and, and, and ask them, you know, what is the biggest problem in family law? It was always high conflict cases. So I'm looking around the world and going, okay, there's a lot of really smart people working in the profession and can't figure this out, right? Why can't we do it? And uh, that's really, to answer your question, I, I, I like why are we doing something that we can't can't work with? Why why can't we fix this? It's fascinating to me that you say that because I am a strong believer that psychology plays a huge role in what I do as a divorce attorney in getting clients to settlement or getting them to resolution through a trial. And what I mean by that, I tell people cases settle when they're ready to settle and not a moment before. And 
you have to change the dynamics of the psychology on whoever is withholding on the settlement. And what I mean by that is maybe that is setting for trial and you have someone very controlling and they now understand when they walk in that courtroom, they are no longer in control. They're treated like a child speak when spoken to. Or maybe it's when you go to court and you get a temporary relief and the parent that was controlling the money or the spouse controlling the money has to start paying temporary alimony and stroke a big check for their other spouse's attorney's fees. Or the client that was withholding the child from one parent all of a sudden has to give up the child. That's a change in psychology based upon behaviors that are being forced upon them. And I am just so looking forward to this conversation to um, talk about first, what does it mean to have a high conflict divorce? Uh, Every client I say, we'll call it potential client. My spouse is the worst you'll ever deal with. And I'm like, "Mm, that was the call last time. They can't all be. Right. (laughs) Right. So, So what classifies it? High conflict divorce. Yeah, good good point. Because the same thing at at High Conflict Institute, you know, when we answer the phone or get that email and it says, oh, I have to tell you this story. It's I'm sure you've never heard anything like this before. Mine is the worst. And I'm going to write a book about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the path. Um, So what characterizes a high conflict divorce or high conflict co-parenting is really four basic things. Uh, There are four fundamental characteristics of a high conflict divorce or high conflict situation, right? So the person, there's at least one of the two, maybe both, that exhibits all or nothing thinking, right? So it's very much in, uh, splitting, dividing, um, choosing a friend. You become a, uh, you're first a friend and then you can quickly become an enemy. You were idealized and then you became you know, devalued. It's suddenly that sort of binary, like the switch is on, then the switch is off. It's on, off. You're my friend or you're my enemy, bottom line. And then there's, you know, unmanaged emotions. So, you know, when you are working with uh, someone who's just, they cry a lot um, or they get mad a lot or they shift suddenly from anger to sadness or just being fine to really angry or raging or running out of the room. They just can't contain and control their emotions, which, as you know, uh, you know, in divorce, a lot of people are at their worst behavior. But with these folks, it's a pattern of this behavior. This is what I call, um, and this is not a psychological term, I am not a psychologist, but I call this a relationship disorder. These are folks who have a really hard time in personal relationships. They have a hard time in close relationships. And so if you have a hard time with relationships, where are you going to end up? You're going to end up in one, and then you're going to end up in divorce court. Love those guys. Yeah, love those guys. <laughs> <laughs> They're needed. They're so needed. Right. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd have a different job. I'd be working at a liquor store. You know, yeah. which is not a bad gig, you know, well, but. you know, yeah, I mean, so there are days, right? So, um, and then just to you, quickly can I ask a quick mm-hmm. question about that. If, in your experience, are people uh, all or nothing thinkers in general or are there there circumstances that trigger this kind of a change? Right. Like, are, are you going to have somebody who is kind of OK day to day and then suddenly they're in a divorce and they just don't know how to handle it and their behavior becomes erratic or volatile? What is that a thing? That is a thing. But but that could be any of us. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, but we eventually find that gray area. The rest of us go to mediation. We 
will sign the settlement documents. We can settle it between ourselves without attorneys. We, you know, we do some type of out of court settlement, maybe go to court once in a while, but, you know, eventually find that path. And then we aren't back in court over and over and over again. But the true the, the person, what we call the person with a high conflict personality, right, mm-hmm. is one that is, it just has these relationship dysfunctions and it, it beyond the all or nothing and the unmanaged emotions, it's extreme behaviors, which can be anything from lying to mm-hmm. public shaming, to not being able to stop themselves from texting 4,000 times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, you know, stuff that 90% of other people wouldn't do these HCPs, so to speak, um, do those things. I I like the term high conflict, high conflict personality, because I can rattle off in my head a list of cases that I have that have high conflict personalities in them. And these are the type of cases that the party or the lawyer, because the lawyer could be the high conflict personality in the case as well, Right. But if you're dealing with a client that you find yourself as the lawyer thinking like, I deal with conflict all day long. I have to fight the court system. I have to, you know, make my arguments to opposing counsel. That could be conflict, but I have to fight my client too. Oh. And that one, which happens all the time, Pete, where I will tell people, you are paying me $450 an hour not to take my advice. Can you explain that to me? Yeah. Well, I, I don't understand why you're paying me. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. there's just a lot of ego in there. Like I need to be, I have, I'm so sure of myself. I need to pay you in order to validate how right I am. Right. In spite of, of that cost. Right. And, 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 Meg, and Megan, on this point, just real quick, I want to hear what you're going to say next is I'll tell these people when we're trying to get to settlement, you can be right or you can settle your case. You cannot be both. Exactly. So on 80 to 90 percent of people, that will sink in. All right. Um, but for the person with a high conflict personality, which also includes blame. So that's the fourth characteristic. That's the key mm-hmm. is the blame, blame, blame. It's always someone else's fault and I'm the victim. Um, you know, they are driven by something different than the other 80 to 90% of people. Um, and so they, they, like I said, it's relationship disorder, this high conflict personality, which by the way, is not a diagnosis. It's just a pattern of behavior. So, and it happens in relationships. So it's not like a chemical imbalance. It's, it's a, it's a relationship, um, disorder. And, you know, our work at High Conflict Institute is really based in five of those personality types that do drive this conflict. So what does it mean to, to drive conflict? And a true HCP, high conflict personality, escalates conflict. Now, in a divorce, we all may be a little escalating, but eventually, like I said, we come to some agreement, we come to some understanding, we calm down, we can control our emotions, those kind of things. With these folks, they can't contain themselves and they've got to control relationships and they have, they, they, um, it's just hard for them to find that gray area. So what drives them? What drives them is what I call a fear-based operating system, right? And this is the big dividing point here. It's the paradigm shift you have to make in your mind to under really understand that 
you're dealing with something different here. And so you have to adapt your strategies because if you don't, it's not going to work because what works for everyone else doesn't work for them. And so I, I try to really drive home this point that it's an operating system, just like if you have a, an Android or an iPhone, you got two different operating systems, right? And one of them doesn't, they don't know that this is their operating system. So it's, it's just how, they, who, how they're programmed, right? But they're not the same. And you can't tell an iPhone to become an Android or vice versa. So what happens is they've got this operating system that's driven by a fear of something. And when they, so they're, let's say everyone has a default operating system. So if your default is to feel superior all the time, and you feel good when you feel superior, like you're on top of the world, right? Then your fear gets triggered, and that's all brain stuff. But your fear gets triggered. What's your what's the opposite of mm-hmm. superior? Inferior. So if someone's you say something to your spouse and um, they 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 suffer from this n- default superiority, and they suddenly feel inferior, like they feel criticism very easily. So oh, inferior, it triggers it. That will trigger. That's going to trigger yep. the escalating conflict because they have yeah. to get back to where they are where they perceive they should be. I think that's really it, because we're talking about what are the things that you need to learn about the person on the other side of the table that are triggering, right? And I I guess, my guess is that's a lot of what your consultation is about, learning to read the room in that way. Exactly. Can I add to that, though? Because I think there's a point that needs to be made. And correct me if I'm wrong, Megan. Pete loves it when I'm wrong, and he so that's why he likes having the guests on. So... (laughs) um, It... It's hard if you're the one that is not the high conflict personality and the other personality is just coming at you. It's hard to have empathy for them, even though to to basically say they're an Android phone, I I talk iPhone, so I know this isn't going to work. It's hard to have empathy with that when you're the one getting attacked. Yes, it is. So so uh, we're not saying this is easy out there, listeners. We're saying this is really hard for you to actually have empathy. But what happens is if you can get a little inf- empathy to just say, that's the way he's wired, it helps you. And the reason it helps you, it's no longer about you. It's about them. And then it's not you saying they're a psychopath or they're this or they're this, that. You're just saying, that's the way they're wired. I'm not going to change it. I'm going to change my behaviors so it makes it easier for me to deal with someone that's wired in this crazy way. Right, which ultimately decreases your own stress and helps your children. And then you start teaching them those same skills. And you're right. It's it's really, I mean, you have to dig deep and be super, super disciplined um, if you're dealing with an HCP co-parent. Because, you know, like you said, you, you, you don't, it's just not natural to have empathy for someone who's driving you crazy, who's personally attacking you, you know, being very it, hostile, undermining your parenting, all of those things. And it it's so you really do have to dig deep and do the opposite of what you feel like doing. And then you add on top of that, when you get into talking about, you know, brain science and our amygdalas, you know, they're kind of like Wi-Fi. They're kind of, you know, hanging off of each other. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your amygdala is watching out for for danger and threats. So when you have this person threatening you, attacking you, looking angry, yelling at you, because that's what HCPs do, they yell a lot, um, especially in divorce, then your amygdala goes, I call it Miggy, 
Miggy because amygdala is hard oh, for most people to, to, to say. And so, you know, like when I do name. So Miggy, we need right. to design it. Do you have a character design? I do. I do. Trademark. Service mark. Whatever. <laughs> you guys are the lawyers. Um, Le- leave the lawyer language to me. Good try. Yeah, right. That's what Pete does too. It's very check, cute check when you try. Right. When you, when you try to speak legalese, but we'll, we'll, we'll deal with so Miggy later. Yes. Right. So Mickey, you know, we've all, so we talk a lot about the other, this high conflict Miggy, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of being hypersensitive and over, gets overstimulated. And that's when you get these bad behaviors, right? And you, the, these folks don't have any access to logical problem solving, you know, because the bridge is shut down between the, the you know, reactionary brain and mm-hmm. the problem solving brain. So these folks just, their lives are just reacting, reacting, reacting. So they do that. How in the non Miggy person, Right. Or or if I'm the guy that's being attacked, mm-hmm. how do I respond? What do I do? OK, so your Miggy might be hijacked. Your Miggy goes, oh, I'm going to do my job, too. And this all happens like in a fraction of a second. Yeah. And it goes, OK, well, I'm going to shut down your bridge over to your problem solving side and I'm going to leave you in your reactionary side. And then that's why you see the non high conflict parent t- parent oftentimes overreacting. And let, if you're let me make a, l- let me make a point here. This doesn't just happen with parents. This also oh, happens yeah. with people who are not who are married, don't have kids, and they're going through a divorce or they're in that relationship. Oh, for so sure. we're using the kids as an example. But right. if you're listening out there, this apply. I've had cases with no kids that were still high conflict, and the judges are looking at me like, "We're not arguing about the kids. What's the problem?" I'm said. Second thing, judge, we're arguing about the money, and we're not really arguing about the money. We're dealing with high conflict personalities here. Right. right. And so. get to that point, the issues with high conflict disputes, the issue is not the issue. Right. That's very important for anyone going through a, a you know, a divorce, family matter, anything like that. Um, you know, especially a high conflict one. The issue is not the issue. The personality is the issue. And so we often get caught up in and stuck in the issue, fighting about you didn't let me see the kids. You took the money. You you know, cleaned out the bank account. Well, that's not the issue. You got to figure out how to deal with the other, the other stuff, right? The personality stuff. um, So you can manage the issue, the, the thing you're working on. We kept coming back to the amygdala. The amygdala, what we know about the amygdala is that it learns through experience. And if the experience that you're learning over and over and over again is a state of fear, it'll respond in a state of fear, right? This is why you white knuckle when you're parasailing if you're afraid of heights, right? Until you train it not to be afraid of that experience, you're going to be afraid of that experience. Until you train yourself how to talk to the bully, the high-conflict personality, you're not going to know how to talk to the high-conflict personality. So I I wonder if we could talk just a little bit about how to talk to the high-conflict personality, not just what it exists, what it looks like as a state. What are some of the tools that you give people to navigate that relationship? Great question. So glad you asked. Um, So there's you know, most of most of life is about communication. So, with an HCP person, um, we we have we have to adapt how we re- communicate orally with them, verbally, and how we uh, write in uh, written communications with them. Mm-hmm. So, we have two very specific and seemingly simple skills, but they can be hard if you're you know like emotionally hooked, right? So, um, if you're talking to someone in person, your conflict 
a high conflict co-parent or a divorcing spouse, um, we use what we call ear statements. Ear standing for empathy, attention, or respect. Okay. So you don't have to think about what which one do you use, just use any of them. Because here's what happens. This person is reactionary and their brain is just reacting, reacting, reacting. And the only way to counterbalance that is to give them a little ear. And I like to call it a sugar shot. Give somebody a little <laughs> sugar, right? Okay. And so what's, what's, that, what's that sound like? I can understand your frustration over this situation. I can, yeah, I get that you're frustrated. And so you're using words that you don't feel like saying, but they have a little bit of empathy or a little bit of attention. If you're dealing with someone that's really self-absorbed, like a narcissist, you use the word respect a lot because they they really dig that. And yeah. it makes that, so the, give them a sugar shot, right? And it I respect them. you. I respect your position. I respect I your position. I hear you. I hear I you. See you. So I Pete, hear you, you. You, you said someone, uh, one that I never use. Hmm. Um, oh. So it, it struck my ear when you said it is. What is it? What are I, I understand. I understand. No, I understand how you feel because they say, no, you don't. So, oh, right. Yeah. So, so you could uh, never understand uh, how I feel. Exactly. So what I, I always do in that situation is I say, I appreciate where you're coming from. Okay. Because now it's about me. I appreciate you. I appreciate your position. That's validating them because now they can't say no you don't Th that does no longer make sense mm -hmm. right when i say i understand your position no you don't because if you did you would agree with me right yeah of course of like, course i appreciate it i might not agree with it but i appreciate where you're coming from so megan let's just give a little quick i appreciate where you're coming from i appreciate your position other adjectives you you just quickly ran through were you were talking about, I respect what you're saying. Yeah. What were I some get, other ones? I, yeah, I get, I get where you're coming from. Let's see if we can figure this out together. I use a lot of let's or we so that they don't feel singled out and it feels less maybe onerous or uh, they don't get as defensive maybe. We're um, on a journey. We're going in the same direction. Yeah, we're going Anything same direction. to define alignment. Yeah, kind of. But when they're really upset, it's it's more about, them right so yeah. you you giving them that little sugar shot that makes them it's just like if you think about their right brain on fire you're the one you're the firefighter with the hose that's giving you know spraying it with water that's yeah. full of ear statements right and so um yeah i can respect that and then it's not just the words so you say it was empathy what was the a again attention attention and respect so let me okay. tell you those are the three things their brain is craving okay because so, i want to be clear here these are not bad people yeah. Right. These are people who have a personality they've had that's been forming their whole lives. They don't even know that it's that it's not like everyone else and that it's, it's like, not in the range of behavior that people would call typical. And it's not serving their best interests in this situation. Right. right. I mean, that's that's right. another thing. It's a square peg round. Okay. Hole. So we give them the sugar shot. Then what do we do? Okay, so that kind of calms them, but like, there's just two little, more little important factors with the sugar shot, and that's to you, you keep your voice calm, which 
like for me, that's a really hard thing. When somebody else escalates, I tend to escalate. When I get mad, I escalate my vo- my volume. And you've just got to avoid that. You have to avoid smacking your forehead, which, you know, we do with our, div- in our divorces. My favorite ah, emoji. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and, or rolling your eyes or, you know, that's those the second one. Exactly. <laughs> so you have to avoid those things and just be calm and kind and objective. So ear and use a calm tone of voice because let me tell you, Miggy is super sensitive to tone of voice, particular with, pe- with people with one type of personality. Some are so hypersensitive to tone of voice that they, what you hear as a, not a condescending tone of voice, their Miggy does. And that just sets it on fire. Megan, my girlfriend says to me all the time that I have stern voice. I have a voice. She calls it stern voice, which used to make my kid cry. Oh, I know it's sad. Oh. It was so sad. I know he deserved it's, it. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she would learned. say you're using stern voice and literally just in the tone of my voice on saying something. So I appreciate when you're talking about staying calm, looking at your tone of voice, because that's yeah. natural in me. I understand that about myself being self-reflective so even in normal conversations i especially when i'm in court i'm very attuned to the tone i take with witnesses with the court with what's happening so um i think it's just easy to overlook because there's a million different ways to say hi right yeah so stay calm tone of voice you stay calm tone of voice and don't overreact you know that what your ex is like right or your soon to be ex and you know what's going to trigger them and so if it's looking at your phone during a conversation yeah. with them don't do it because that takes for them their their reactive brain needs attention and you looking at your phone is not attention so in that moment give the attention now we're going to talk about setting limits later. Is, but. is the A plus answer? I really respect what you have to say right now. Let me put my phone away to focus on that. A plus. A plus. Nice. You, you're always doing that, going a gold star, going for the gold star. I got to go for it. I got to go for it, Pete. Ear, you can't just do ear statements forever, right? You use an ear statement to calm someone. But then if you're trying to get through a process, you have, you're trying to have a conversation, you're in a mediation, you're exchanging the kids for the weekend, you're talking about the bank account, I don't know, whatever, right? You've got to still talk about the issue. So what you want to do after you get them calm within your statement, my big statement, TM, calm before think. You want where, where, where we typically get it wrong with them is to get people thinking um, and it, you're explaining and arguing with them and it always escalates if you don't have them calm first. And so you have, that's the paradigm shift here is you have to Focus on getting them calm, give them a little ear, and then get them thinking. So that, And you get them thinking by asking them questions. And that shoves them over into problem-solving brain. And when they're in problem-solving brain, at least you can, you know, get somewhere. And once they're there, you get them analyzing options. Well, would you like to pick up our little guy on at 2 o'clock on Thursday or 5 o'clock on Friday? So you're, you're giving them two choices, and that forces people to think. Thinking is a calming activity. So instead of getting yourself engaged in the argument, now you're just going on this journey. As they escalate and go down, up and down, you go, okay, they escalated. I'm going to give them a little ear and then I'm going to get them thinking again. And I'm, I'm just going to reiterate, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of work for the non-conflict party. 
we're giving you these tools. We're not saying that this is easy because you're being attacked. They're coming at you. You want to either fee or, or flee or fight. And uh, But in the long run, if you can learn these skills, because the other person's not changing. The other person's not changing. And if you want to keep on that merry-go-round, you can, and you can have a high conflict divorce. But even sometimes when you do all this, we're not saying it necessarily works every time. There are some people that no matter how empathetic you can be and how calm you can be and and not overreact, they still are who they are. These are just what I, I like to call tricks of the trade to see if we can change some of these um, exchanges of, um, or if we can change some of these interactions uh, is really important to understand. We are not saying this is easy. No, and it takes practice and you'll screw up. And, and, you know, if you're a parent out there, you know, spouse, anybody who's, who's, if you, you know, you're going to screw up, you're going to make mistakes. You're human. Your amygdala is, your Miggy's going to say, hey, I'm mad. And and so you guess what? You move on. You repair it. You do it differently the next time. You try ear again. You know, you set a limit, whatever. But but it's good to, so so it's good for people to, to realize you got to get in, into kind of a rhythm. You make a, a shift and you, you know, we've written some guides like high conflict co-parenting survival guides so that you you know, these are hard things to do. This is, you know, kind of like going to what's the not Alcoholicus Anonymous, but the one for the family members, you know, you know, you kind of need support groups and yeah, um, like Al-Anon need, and- Al-Anon, that's it. Yeah. And, you know, writing in journals or keeping track of, of self-care because some of these cases are, you know, some of these situations are the worst thing in the world. I mean, these, this is the hardest thing you will ever go through. Typically, so Megan, I've, I've on this show, Pete and I have talked about dealing with narcissists and stuff and, I've expressed my thoughts on some of this, which is you have your phone there for your convenience and no one else's. Mm-hmm. So if someone's blowing up your phone and texting, don't check it. Um, don't respond. I'm sorry. Don't react. Respond. Reaction is without thought. Responding is with thought. And sometimes don't respond at all. If there's nothing to respond to, and when you change that behavior and you don't engage, that really throws these high conflict personalities for a loop. Is that accurate? If you're not taking the bait, if you're not, if, you know, they've been pushing your buttons for 5, 10, 15 years, they know how to push your buttons. They know how to get what they need out of that interaction, even if it's conflict. And all of a sudden, you stop. How does that impact them and impact the the person who's receiving that? Just feels like that would be yet another trigger. Yeah. Well, it it could be if they feel dissed. So if you're talking yeah. about a narcissist, you know they they need to feel superior. Um, and so this is kind of part two of the question earlier about communication. So I just talked about the using ear statements and then getting people calm before thinking. Um, that's how to do it in person. But in mm-hmm. writing, as you know, in divorce and, and co-parenting, it's just like texting and DMing and emailing. It's just it's just nonstop. So the true, you can tell a true HCP when they can't stop themselves, right? They, they really lack impulse control. They don't restrain themselves. They just can't stop 
themselves where other people can. Okay, so we engage and we don't we don't know what to do and uh, and we feel attacked. So we feel like we have to defend ourselves and there's all these allegations and oh my lawyer said I need to you know so they end up putting too much stuff in. But here's here's what happens. Okay, so let's say Miggy's there the HCP's Miggy goes right right brains on fire, no problem solving going on, going to text. I'm mad. I'm going to text right now. There's not even any thought put into it. It just happens so quickly. And that's because they feel all that anxiety and angst right in that moment. It's just all reactionary. And as soon as they get that out into a text message or into an email, it's out of them. I call Mm -hmm. it verbal vomit through the keyboard, right? And now it's out of them and their anxiety goes back down. Guess where the anxiety just landed? The verbal vomit just landed on the other person, right? right. You, the, uh, the the co-parents or the ex-spouse or soon to be. And again, we've thrown the power imbalance back out of whack, right? Because right. now that person has used it as a way to sort of take control. Right, right, exactly. And so you have to, get, again, get disciplined. And so what we say is, number one, do I need to respond? And I tell you what, I'm sure you guys have seen this where people will just perseverate over this stuff um, for days, weeks, <laughs> um, how do I respond to this email? And they lose sleep over it and everything. And instead, we teach BIF responses. Number one, do I need to respond? Typically, a lot of times you don't. Number two, if you do, you sit down and is, this takes thought. You use BIF, B-I-F-F. B for brief. It can only be two to five sentences. I for informative. Stick to the straight facts and information. Don't be defensive. Don't um, respond to every allegation. Don't respond to, respond to personal attacks, right? Just ignore that baloney. And then the first F is friendly. Just have a friendly tone, which is kind of like the ear thing we learned where it just calms the miggy, just hi, or, you know, if it's an email, it's easier to do that than texting, you know, where you don't have a greeting and closing, but it's just a friendly tone. Mm-hmm. And some people um, are... You know, they're just, they're mad and they're worn out. So it's hard to be friendly, but that's why we biff it. So we can make it a little friendlier. If you're a sterile kind of cold person or business-like person, you might have to sugar it up a little bit. And then the last F is firm. And that means you just close it firmly, um, meaning it's the end of the conversation um, without being mean about it. Um, And then if it's something where you need them to respond to you about, you know, selecting you know, when you're going to exchange kids or whatever the case may be, when when they're going to drop the check off, you give them two choices or more. So it gets them focused on on making a choice. So that's the BIF approach. Less is more. And on informative, and I'm like really enjoyed when we were kids and we had to diagram sentences. I love that. Oh, I hated that. That was my worst thing ever. (laughs) Right. So, and I don't know if they even teach that anymore. So, but... Uh, I say no adjectives. There's mm. no reason to have descriptive terms. Like, just get rid of the adjectives, okay? I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on friendly, you can start, hey, thanks for your text. Um, yep. Now, tone is really hard in text, okay? Um, so that that's, in writing, it's also very difficult. Um, but sometimes you can say, I know that tone is difficult in text messaging, um, I 
please accept this with an apology or, or, or I, I don't mean any of this mean, I don't mean to be harsh. If you say I'm smiling what, as I write this, yeah, right. yeah, like you, yeah but not like being all snide yeah. about it. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Smiling on the inside and the outside. Yeah, no, that's a, and, that's and, a really and, good and, point. And firm that's to me point. is like setting boundaries. Like, right? um, yeah. so or expectations, right? Yeah. I mean, I imagine if you're talking about, you know, finding a day for the kids, I, I would like to have this resolved by Friday, or please, I, I expect a response by Thursday at four. Or do or, you think we could get this resolved yeah. by Friday, right? Like, what do yep. you think? Hey, can we get it done? Because uh, they don't care what you think, Pete, right? The I whole want image I have here, right. I, you guys have really set this, the, the diorama for me that one of us is Jane Goodall trying not to get pummeled by a gorilla, like, <laughs> how does Jane Goodall snuggle with a gorilla? First, you got to throw it a treat, right? You got to do something for the gorilla. So just keep the Jane Goodall oh, like and the that. gorilla thing going because you never know what's going to trigger a gorilla. Right. Because she's you like the gorilla whisperer. But yes, let me, let me, right. let me, um, that really sparked something here. So, what we find, and, and if you're a parent out there, divorcee listening to this, and, and, you know, you've, you've, you know what you're dealing with. You're you've been frustrated and all that, and and you're probably thinking, "Oh, this this person I'm dealing with is so unpredictable." Listen, these are the most predictable people on the planet. When they feel upset, they're going to blow, and they're they're going to get make it personal. They're going to make it hostile. They're some are going to be vengeful, um, vindictive, all uh-huh. those things. Right? Um, they're all going to have a lack of empathy for you and your position right? Mm-hmm. They just can't, it's not in their operating system. So when you are, you know, I've, I've had instances, you know, interactions where I just start pounding my forehead, like, why can't this person get any empathy? Oh, like, I, I, think, wired that way. I think your point that they're very predictable is one well said. And I express to people all the time is don't take this personally. And they're like, well, they're attacking me. And I said, yeah, but they've said the same thing to you how many times? Yep. And I heard one line once when uh, they were walking out of the courtroom and this guy was just hammering this lady in the hall. And she just looked at him and said, any new material? Oh, nice. Oh, like, wow. Like, like she was just... I heard it all before. There's nothing new here. Like I it it I I have calluses from it. It doesn't affect me anymore. Yeah. I, you know, you've picked at me so much. I've got the armor now. Um, well, this is what we're talking uh, yeah. about with the amygdala. The amygdala learns from experience, right? You actually can count on that. Bingo. That if you are if you are uh, bullied enough, eventually you'll have the calluses. Right. Hopefully, oh. I mean, Hopefully. And, and, and if you can't, if you can't figure out how to stand up to that, and I mean, it's really hard for some people, and it just it's based on how you grew up and how your parents raised you and the culture that. Oh yeah, let's blame it on our parents. I'm, I'm all gonna, about hey, that. Oh, I think we already learned that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, we're good. Blame it on everything. parents. That's right. So, so mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's it's go get some, go get you know, see a, a therapist, um, and not just any therapist. I always like to point people to a therapist that maybe have a little trauma. Um, informed approach or have uh, used dialectical behavior therapy because it really can help you um, 
And and if you find yourself never being able to stand up to that bully or to the rage, because with some, um, you know, like someone with true borderline personality can experience rages that are beyond, they're out of this world. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's, person, listen, that's, you've got 911. We're not talking about domestic violence. Let me be very clear. We're not talking right. about domestic violence. We're, we're, we're talking about someone that is over the top in their reactions, how they speak to you. This is when people call and say, well, they're very verbally ab- abusive. They're very emotionally abusive. We're not, if it, if you are in danger, you need to call 911. Um, right. Amen. So let's be clear on that. But also not responding, especially when you're not living together, you don't have to respond to the text. And, if, and there's reasons why we have stalking laws. When they start following you and showing up, and you're at that extreme, call the authorities. We're talking about behaviors where someone is verbally aggressive, where someone is over the top in their reactions. So we, we just want to keep that in mind for everybody. And, and I mean, you are going to see um, with this high conflict personality, you know, this may be where you do see some, some violence. Um, and it's because they can't restrain themselves in some instances and have a lack of impulse control. And the rage is so heightened that, you know, whatever's in the hand goes flying out or, you know, there is a punch or whatever. So um, like you said, call 911 find any resources you can for protecting yourself. But yeah, these are these are these are difficult situations. Um I just wanted to give one little extra tip on the the BIF responses um when we're communicating by email or text or anything. Before you hit send, do a BIF check. Is it brief? Is it informative? Is it friendly? Is it firm? You can find all this stuff on our website. There's a book called BIF for co-parent communication. It's been number one on Amazon in family law for seven or eight months now. <laughs> Love nice. that. Outstanding. Yeah. Pete's I mean, going to get... Pete's yeah. going to give you a free plug at the end. You didn't even have to slip oh, yeah. it in there. No <laughs> worries. You know what? It's in the show notes, everybody. Don't worry. Just tap the show notes. It'll take you right there. You can That's get it yourself. Right. Yeah. I didn't write it, but I published it. Um, yeah. But anyway, it's it's so good. And then, and then you follow it up with, does it have any of the three A's? Does it contain advice? Because guess what? An HCP is not going to take advice. It's, it's just going to... Mm-hmm. Right? back to the conflict at gorilla and um does it contain admonishments well you should have done this you know if you'd have done this differently and i tell you what people think they don't do this but we all do it we all do it because we it's really their weaknesses are very obvious to us when we critique our shows Pete's whole line is, Seth, you should have said this. You should have done that. Why didn't you do this? I'm well aware of what you're talking about, Megan, here. Don't worry about it. We're good. (laughs) Okay. And then the last A is no apologies. Now, this is the one that always gets people a little funky, right? Um, Well, why? What do you mean no apologies? Well, what happens is we get a little bit uh, we can go back into the role we used to be in with this person where we feel, um, you know, attacked or maybe we go into a submissive, passive role mm-hmm. and um, we apologize out of that anxiety or out of that old pattern or just to make, you know, make ourselves feel better. So you're doing it for some reason that for yourself. And it usually is bad because it just validates that um, uh, in that person's mind, the true HCP, that it is all your fault, right? Yeah. And so if you're apologizing- And they're back in the mm, top. Yeah, so right you take back. apologies out. Now, if you've done something wrong, it's fine to apologize. Let's be very clear. Um, but for the most part, what we see, and we've been doing this 15, 20 years, is um, 
is people saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they're only doing it out of anxiety because they've been yeah. attacked. Right. That, uh, that is great words to to leave us with. It's just remember what is your natural natural stance. I I think of, I was once uh, given the I think possibly backhanded compliment that I could make for a a great Canadian because my natural state is oh I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. it's just a cultural too. thing, right? I, it, I it train can Australians be. all the time in divorce industry, financial industry, customer yeah. service, ombuds, and. It just like Canadians, everything's. I'm Natural sorry. I'm state. sorry. It's oh, it's hard one. It's hard. But, it's hard. It's hard for everybody. And this is these are some great tools and tips. Can you please tell some people, tell the good people, where they can find out more about you and your work? Well, I appreciate that. Um, so we have uh, a website, HighConflictInstitute.com, and that's for you know professionals and and anyone um, to get you know, more information, lots of free articles. My co-founder, Bill Eddy, is the genius um, in, the, in the picture. And he's, um, he's, he just writes really good stuff. And then we've just started a, a new website in the last year called Conflict Playbook. And that's um, online courses um, and support groups for uh, parents or anyone in the divorce, uh, dealing with a high conflict person, just to get some extra support and learn how to diff and how to use ear and those kinds of things. Um, and then you can find our books anywhere books are sold, you know, uh, hard copies, uh, digital, audio, things like that. Oh, and we Where? have a really good one called Dating Radar, so you don't do this again. Oh, that's good. Outstanding. So you don't date the gorilla. I love that. It. Oh, what? Uh, that would be a great subtitle. I'm going to call you next time. It's uh, you know what? I'm I am really good with anything pretty much gorilla related. That's where it stops. <laughs> but I'm going to call you the gorilla whisperer. The gorilla whisperer. The gorilla whisperer. <laughs> yeah. Outstanding. And, and for Christmas, I'm sending you some bananas, brother. That's what's That's happening right. I'll now. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm a real Donkey Kong. Hey, uh, thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate your time and your attention. Good luck out there. Uh, on behalf of the, the fantastic Megan Hunter from the High Conflict Institute and America's family divorce attorney, Seth Nelson. I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on How to Split a Toaster, the divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.